0: This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 64. Lord, I was born a traveling man. Yeah, I'm making money singing and not so much in my future. But that traveling part, now that's interesting. You're listening to the Small
1: Moves Podcast small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger, your your next step starts now.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I'm Jason Hertzberger, the host of the Small Moves Podcast. Super excited that you're here today. Today's show is special to me. I have my first return guest to the Small Moves Podcast, Azul Torones. Azul, if those of you who have been around for a while can remember, Azul was my guest on episode 10 of the show way, way back in October of this past year, too long after the show launched. And today, a topic that came came up in that episode of the show during that conversation we were talking primarily about Azul's TED talk his TEDx talk and his business which is where he coaches authors through the process of publishing their books something that came up in conversation somewhat casually during that interview is that Azul and his husband Steve travel the globe not just the US but also the globe full time with children And that was just sort of a topic that we sort of brushed on briefly, but that if you've been listening to the show with any regularity recently, you know that my wife, Carrie and I, and our two kids, we recently moved into an RV and we're planning on doing similar traveling at the very least U S based traveling. And this topic was, has always been really interesting to me. And I have always had trouble. Both Carrie and I have had a lot of trouble finding not just individuals, but couples who are able to do this, couples specifically with families. We've been having a little bit of trouble finding families that do active traveling full time. And that being that that's something that Azul and Steve are able to do, that's going to be the primary conversation of today's show. How did they get into that? How did they start? Where do they go? How did they manage that? process with a kid who was in their senior year of high school when this whole process started traveling of traveling started, which is not exactly the easiest time in the world to break away from one's home base. We got into a lot of stuff. We got into the state of the educational system, why we're looking to travel the way that we are, at least why Carrie and I are looking to travel the way that we are. We we And I get some advice on that from Azul, who is a former teacher and principal in multiple school systems throughout the U.S. and abroad, as it turned out, as they started. And uh, we got into a little bit of a story of a... Um, Shall we say, if you if you love someone, let it go story, which is sort of how this whole process started for the two of them. And I just I find their story fascinating. I find it incredible. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Just fair warning, we had a couple of little audio glitches due to wonderful RV-based internet connectivity there during the first maybe 20 minutes of the show. It's it's random. It's only a few of them, and it's not that big of a deal. You don't really miss anything. So do please bear with me through that. It does go away roughly around like the 20 to 25 minute mark. And then after that, everything is clear sailing. So I do appreciate you sticking with me. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I really did. Without further ado, I bring you Azul Torones and Steve Vanoy. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast: Small Steps for Big Progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Steve, Azul, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us here. Yeah, no worries. This is actually the very first interview that I've had multiple guests on the show, so I'm actually super stoked about that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Thank- great. again. Yeah. So, thanks again for coming on the show. for For people that are listening to the show, you've just recently heard the intro where I mentioned, you know, Azul has been on this show before. Azul is actually also the very first return guest to the Small Moves podcast. So, thank you also for that. Um, I feel honored. This conversation is obviously going to be dramatically different from the first conversation that we had back in episode ten, if for no other reason that you know. I, at the time, had recorded maybe five to seven conversations, and now I've recorded north of 50. So the, uh, hopefully I sound ever so slightly more conversational than I did way, way back then, way, way what? back in September. <laughs> right. You sound great. So the we touched on primarily your authorship program back then and what the nature of your professional life was, and very, very... Very gently brushed on the idea of how you guys travel internationally as a family while doing what it is that you guys do. Now, this conversation for everybody that's been listening to the Small Moves podcast recently, you all know that you know my wife Carrie and I and the kiddos are moving into an RV, so we are going to be hopefully traveling full time sometime in the very near future. So, Azul and Steve, your lifestyle is incredibly interesting to us right now, because we have a lot of trouble finding families that are able to pull this off with any sort of consistency or long term success. That's not something that seems to be very easy for us to find. You know, we can find individuals all day. We can find couples all day. But being able to pull this off for an extended period of time when there are kids involved, it just is very difficult for us to find. So I'm actually really excited about the conversation from that angle. And also sort of what what was it that sort of started you down the path of wanting to travel while working professionally where you could have just stayed put. So First off, uh, Steve, you've, you have not been on the show as of now, so if you wouldn't mind just kind of introducing yourself to the audience first, and then just tell us a little bit about how you guys ended up traveling full-time and how, what the impact of that has been on the family.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks again for having us here. Um, and actually, Jason, I'll, even though you've recorded like 50 episodes, this is my first podcast, so uh, first interview So thanks for having me on. Welcome aboard. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and um, I guess a little bit about myself. Um, I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. I I went to school in West Virginia. That's where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in Bluefield, a small town in the south. Mm -hmm. And I went to West Virginia University for an industrial engineering degree. Finished that. Go mountaineers. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I launched into... A career that was kind of centered around that, which, if anybody knows anything about industrial engineers, um, that is kind of the jack of all trades of engineering. So I morphed into a lot of different roles. I worked in um, heavy industry like aluminum production, glass production, um, but my heart was in healthcare. I worked in hospitals. Mm. And I did that as a stra- strategy, operations management, internal consultant external consultant. Um, I did work in decision support, uh, which is a lot of data analytics mm-hmm. um, and performance, you know, like how's the the healthcare system performing from an operational standpoint, financial standpoint, and uh, production. So a lot of that fit with me, but a lot of it didn't. Um, the element of working with people and helping people and really the heart of healthcare was kind of my passion. Um, so I did that for about... Mm-hmm. I don't know, 15, 16 years. And then I would say a really big shift happened um, in 2013. So five years ago, right now, I had just decided that I was going to try to leave um, working in that environment, working in administrations of hospitals. And uh, so I had talked to Azul and I said, you know what, Azul, I really, I never went and traveled. And I was like approaching 40, I think I was 39 at the time. And, um, I, I bought a backpack and, uh, a one-way ticket, um, first to Argentina. And then I, I did that from like right after Thanksgiving of 2012 until right before Christmas in 2012. So just like about a month. Mm-hmm. And I, I came back cause I was like, I can't be away from the family. I can't possibly be away from Azul. But my, my whole goal was like to find my soul, like find my purpose. Sure. Um, and I had been in a grind, you know, going to work at four thirty in the morning, coming home at sometimes eight or nine o'clock at night, and just I didn't feel like I had a life in corporate America. And I wanted to be international, but I didn't. It didn't seem possible. Like, how in the heck can somebody just up and leave? And especially with us at the time, we had, um, I believe, our daughter was in ninth grade, um, mm-hmm. which would have put our son in tenth grade. So they're like right in the heat of you know, track competitions and. Volleyball, everything yep. you can. Like imagine all, the fr- all, the,
0: all the friends, all the sports, all the college prep, all yeah, the yeah, yeah. blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah.
2: And um, I, I bring this up because, and and that's a big part of who I am because I just said, you know what, I have to do this. I, I've got to unplug at least for a few weeks. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how it started for me, and actually was a little bit of an experiment for both Azul and myself in terms of. How do you get out of the States and just actually make things work? And, you know, leaving is there's a comfort with being in the in the U.S. Of course. Even being in your own hometown, you know how things work, you know where to get things done. Um, And I guess I only did it on a small scale. But when I came back for the holidays for Christmas, I said, you know what? I, this, this can't be the end. Like, I've got to do this for a couple more months. (laughs) And Azul had seen the sparkle in my eye and he was like, you know, whatever you're doing, this is amazing because you're like a new person. And, uh, he encouraged me and supported me in the idea that, that I would at least go on an adventure. Um, I think like a lot of kids, uh, when I reflect back to being in, in university, I just wanted to get done. I really wanted to to do it in four years. I didn't want an extra semester. I couldn't wait to get a job. Then I got a job. Then I couldn't wait to buy a house. Then I got a mortgage. Then I couldn't wait to sell it. Um, <laughs> and um, you know, with those lessons, I think I was like, you know what? It's not too late. Um, I'm entering my 40s, and it's never too late to to make a change. So um, a few more one-way tickets, and I was on my way. I I remember um, in January, I bought a ticket. I just looked for deals, you know, like where could I go that would be exotic enough or give me a different perspective and take me somewhere I'd never been before. So I bought a ticket to Hong Kong, and I'd wanted to go there since
0: I was like five years old. I have heard wonderful things about Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah, I
2: I remembered um, meeting – Two college girls when I was like five and my parents my family, I'm the youngest of three. Uh, we were all in Miami. We were at Miami Beach and we had booked a little tour, and I met these girls from Hong Kong. They spoke great English. Uh they just kind of took me under their wing and they talked to me the entire time we were on this uh tour in a shuttle van.
1: Mm-hmm. I was
2: like, some someday I've got to go there. And uh I think that's what happens in life. You know, a lot, we tell ourselves someday I'm going to try something. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just dive in. Yeah. And I had, I realized I'm like, I haven't done any of this stuff. I was going to say, everybody says that you <laughs> never do. And, um, uh, you know, it was sort of painful because I started realizing all the things that were dreams and things that, that seemed small mm-hmm. ear- earlier now started to seem really big. And it was like all the excuses in the world came, you know, we have kids, how could I leave the family? All of that. But I do remember being on that trip in Hong Kong. I was there for like two weeks. And then I just kept going. I won't go into all the details, but traveled through a good bit of Asia and then down to Australia and New Zealand. Um, but while I was in Hong Kong, I called I called Azul. We did a Skype, uh, FaceTime something. And I said, look, I can see us bringing the kids and and being actually in Asia, I think I can see us in Hong Kong. And I, d- I didn't know how or I didn't know why, but I was like, <laughs> it just feels right. Like, we've got to do something. So this was 2013.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, our daughter was like ninth grade. 2015, two years later, um, Azul just randomly out of the blue uh, was contacted by, um, through a recruitment effort to try to find a specialist in project-based learning which he has talked about before that was one of his specialties in education. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, man, this school in China just contacted me. This is like two years later, fast forward. Ah. And uh, what do you think? And, you know, my eyes just kind of like lit up. I was like, dude, um, that's amazing. I think this is it. I think this is a sign. This is something we need to to latch on to. So anyway, I'll I'll stop the story there because I think that kind of gets you caught up to – at least my passion for going international and just taking a chance, I, I guess.
0: Sure. Now you, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier when you were working in corporate America, specifically in the healthcare field, doing operational financial and production level level work in hospitals or healthcare organizations. What, what role in what role in an organization covered that wide of a span, like the outside, outside of CEO, of course, which I, I, don't know if you were ever the CEO of a hospital, but you know who know, who knows. I don't know you well enough to know yes or no. But like, what what role? <laughs> what were those different roles over spanning different times, or was there a role that sort of encompassed that wide of a portfolio?
2: No, you know what? That's a, that is an awesome question, and I guess um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because I, I worked in a, a lot of different roles um, mm-hmm. back. When I graduated from industrial engineering, which would have been in 1990, 1996, excuse me, um, the role would have been called a, a management engineer or performance engineer. and you know to demystify it, it, was it was a role that looked at where hospitals could improve quality, lower cost, improve efficiency, improve safety and kind of looking at things from a lot of different angles. So okay. I, stu- I studied a lot of processes, a lot of procedures, mm-hmm. um, operations. And a lot of times it was you know, looking at data, uh, looking at performance-type data. And there was something about that that just didn't sit well with me. So I, I left that role um, because it was a lot about cutting costs. In the late 90s, healthcare was kind mm-hmm. of a like it goes through cycles every couple of years, there's a tremendous effort to try to cut costs because, um, as Americans, we can't afford the type of healthcare delivery system we've put in place. So, um, it, it actually became like the downsizing role. Uh, where can we cut jobs? Where can we, uh, eliminate management layers and actually collapse roles so that they're more encompassing. And I had a real struggle with that because, um, I thought there was more to it when I had, you know, in, in studies, uh, in school, I was so much more excited about all the sort of the Disney aspect of it, which was, sure, um, you know, customer service and quality and making the experience like this incredible experience. And that was al- always my passion. So it, st- it sort of started with roles like that, but it morphed. Um, I did, you know, like okay. three years in industry, which was totally just like studying jobs and a job is made up of activities, and I think this sort of relates to your um, the essence of your podcast. You know, small moves. It's a job is made up of a bunch of tasks, is made up of a bunch of subtasks or or like little steps, and then each step has lots of nuances um, mm-hmm. that make it that make it actually successful. And without knowing those nuances, uh, someone working in any field that has that requires skill, creativity, um, manual labor, even it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you don't know those nuances really well, you're not going to be outstanding. Oh yeah. You, you know? So, oh yeah.
0: A perfect. Personal experience with that, with, with my, with my courier business, the, the business that I've been doing now for seven years, when, when I, if I try to explain to you, it's like, this work for this client. I just, it, I could very simply just say, like okay, at this time in the morning, you, you go down to the post office, you go pick up the mail from all these boxes over here, and then go and drop it off at this place, and that's it." the The amount of nuances actually in that is so much harder to explain to people than you would possibly imagine. Because like every time, every time, and this is this is this kind of gets into this gets to the root of some of the concern that my wife and I have had about traveling with any sort of consistency is any time I have gotten someone to be able to cover some of my larger contracts that I still manage myself. Oh my God, it's a train wreck. It's a train wreck. The entire time I'm gone, I spent, I spend our time away on the phone, making sure that my clients aren't so pissed that I'm not going to have anything to come back to, or I end up I end up sitting there on the phone for 45 minutes while someone is literally at say the post office walking through this place. Then that place He's like, does this go here? Does this go here? He's like, Oh, it goes there. Refer to the piece of paper that I gave you before I left. Oh yeah, that's right. And then he looks at it. He's like, yeah, but this, there was a smudge on the paper. I'm not really sure. I'm like, Oh my God. It's like, Oh, it like, oh my, but it, it is, it's amazing. It's amazing. The complexity. Whereas, you know, but if you're look, if you're, Just something just as simple as picking up mail out of a PO box is like you have this rack of keys. It's like, well, I know where the boxes are. I know what they (laughs) are. I know what the order is. It's like, uh, 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 but where, where's this one again? It just, it's a that that little that little what should be relatively simple task is so difficult to explain to people unless someone is literally just over your shoulder watching you while you do it. With not talking, just sitting there watching you do do the stuff, and then they just sort of inter intercede, saying, "Hey, what was that?" or "Hey, what did you do there?" or "What was that about?" Or uh, if you don't have that sort of preparation when you're starting to build some sort of outsourcing work, if you don't have those systems in place, it 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 falls. It's a it's a house of cards. It falls down. No no Kevin Spacey <laughs> reference there, of course. But the you know the it's just it's a house of cards. And it's really amazing. Now, the the work that you were doing, you it's you, the uh, the management the management side of it, was that sort of like independent consulting work? Was that you working for an outside consulting agency, or were those were those call it W two jobs for one or different healthcare organizations over the time? Oh, by the way, Azul, I promise I'm going to talk to you too. <laughs> okay, I'll wait.
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, they, it was mostly W2 jobs, whether I was actually working for a hospital or, um, now when I worked industrial, I like in an industrial setting with manufacturing, I did that for three years in the late nineties, right soon after graduation. Like I spent a couple years in the hospital. I was, um, a little bummed that it wasn't all rainbows and, uh, positive things. You know, I was like, I was kind of like the grim reaper who's yeah. cutting jobs and, um, uh, changing people's lives in a way that I was like, "Whoa, this is not what yeah. I thought I signed up for." And yeah. then, but it's a necessary reality at the time, and and certainly it happens. Um, but anyway, I'm really glad I jumped out because that's how I started studying nuance. Like I would say, nuance of of work, because what what I found was fascinating. It was like a workforce development type work at that point, and that was consulting. Um, w two, I was I was in an organization that was like nonprofit and and trying to help the state of West Virginia with workforce development initiatives. um, Got it. But within different types of manufacturing. So um, the whole point of that job was go in and find out what's the magic that underlies the individual roles that people play to make that organization successful. So that was kind of like my shtick for three years. And then I, I was like, oh. I really miss working in the hospital. I have such a heart connection with um, clinical, with caregivers, people who are, you know, nurses, doctors, Mm -hmm. therapists, physical therapists, respiratory, everybody who's involved, the lab um, and all the support people that don't get a lot of attention. Um, But anyway, I had the the pleasure for then after that almost 15 years of just studying a lot of that work. And then that just led me into knowing, like I knew a lot about healthcare. I I knew how hospitals worked sort of inside and out, their Mm -hmm. customer supplier relationships. um, And the roles had similar titles, but then I would get offered an opportunity to do something that was completely out of my comfort zone. Like um, I was an internal auditor um, in corporate compliance of all things for a (laughs) multi-hospital organization once. And that was- Sounds
0: very exciting
2: that was like the world of accountants and auditors and financial statements and i it it just about killed me but it was a great learning experience because i was like this is not what i thought i would do it's not creative um and then fast forwarding i guess through to the end of my of what i consider my healthcare career because i have left it mm-hmm. and i'm really at peace with that um but uh i ended up i ended up doing some project management type work helping a brand new, a hospital that was building a greenfield construction facility, really large trauma hospital um, in Southern California. And I got to do that, that work for almost five years. And during that tenure, um, I, I got connected to some folks who were really trying to change culture, organizational culture, um, to be more agile, customer-oriented, high-performing, innovative, and creative and that was like, this is amazing that um, that I got the chance to, to one, be in an organization that was devoting a lot of resource to, resources to that, mm-hmm. and then two, that's actually how I ended out my career, and it's actually what led me to discover, I'm in the wrong place. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing long term, you know, to fulfill my sole purpose, mm-hmm. and um, that was doing organizational development, um, leadership development. Personal and professional development, I facilitated small groups, um, peer groups where they would actually spend a day together about every five or six weeks and work through uh, the struggles that they had both in their career and mm-hmm. in the organization. And it was a lot of self-development work, self-discovery, and using creativity and the subconscious. The things that, that definitely don't get advertised with, I would say, um, healthcare jobs or in corporate America… Kind of the thing that was a little bit soft and fuzzy and uh, touchy-feely mm-hmm. in the background, but really to help people get get through their fears and get rid of barriers that were like their own personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always said it wasn't therapy, but it sure felt like it. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, the last three or four years, that's that's the work I was doing. And um, and for my own personal experience through that, I, w- I was a district manager at that point. Um, managing what was called the Learning and Development Office, which covered you know several hospitals, and we were building a hospital, so we had to do a lot of um, orientation and specific training that was required to open a new hospital, uh, which is ba- basically like running a school. Um, sure. So I, I pretty much became a school administrator, if you will, um, with a title that was like, oh, "Okay, what's the district manager of learning and development?" and uh, doing a lot of culture transformation work. And uh, that meant we had champions for that work, probably to the tune of about 150 people were involved in that endeavor. And and then I worked along with a team. So yeah, um, long answer to your question, but I hope that fills <laughs> in a lot of gaps, of, like who the heck I am, and and. Uh, Kind of the, the type of background I have, and just a willingness to try something new, I think that's been the essence of every move i've made
0: no and that, don't be afraid the, don't be no, afraid that, you know yeah, no that's great that's that's really good background information for the purposes of our conversation I mean now azul when when Steve came and sort of pitched this idea of this initial trip that he wanted to take was was international or any real for that matter travel for for any extended period of time was that part of your guys life up to that point yet or was this just sort of i don't want to say out of the blue but was this something that was just a foreign idea or was that something that have you guys traveled relatively extensively before but you did it for we're doing a week in mexico or we're doing a week in argentina and then we're coming back to our regular life which is what the lion's share of the population is like, what was that something that was a surprise or was that something that was somewhat normal? No, it was a surprise. I mean,
1: we, we, but, busy doing our jobs. I was a school teacher or a principal, depending on the the year you caught me, mm. and our kids were in school. <laughs> it just seemed like that's a pipe dream. People don't go do that. So yeah, b- besides the week vacation that we tried to take once a year, yeah, no, that was never in our radar. And we had dreamt about it. We thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if, if. but yeah, we can't. And yeah. so I think it was, no, it was nowhere in our, it was just a part of a dream. And there it wasn't a good time. He had left his job a very, Big got job. it now
0: the 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 destiny the...
1: sorry go ahead oh i said it just wasn't a part of like our life it was something so new
0: okay gotcha yeah so just kind of backing up at this point when, when this happened i was i was angling towards a question when when steve was talking but then he sort of partially answered it um when he was mentioning some stuff earlier about I had if you guys were already married at this point when this happened, it sounded obviously that 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 question was was yes. How long how long had you guys been together? I guess, together initially and then for that matter, married at that point?
1: Yeah, we weren't married, actually. Um, we had been together like seven years, but we weren't we weren't married. Um, and that first trip to Argentina that he took uh, with mm-hmm. the backpack, you know, Uh, one way (laughs) i wasn't sure if he'd come back like you know what the world's a pretty big place uh i told him like look sure if you find yourself and yourself belongs there go for it like i don't want to hold you back in your life but um the day he got back he came back christmas eve uh that's the day i proposed to him actually i'm like if he comes back it's a good sign that that this might work out (laughs) oh sure
0: like the, no. the old the old if you love it set it free. Yeah, kind of. it's like the old It's like it's it's a it's a cliche it's a cliche it's it's a stereotype but it's there for a reason. Right. So, yeah, so we we hadn't really we were going to be together. We just
1: it was just a
0: matter of what where
1: what, what does this look like? Like we don't have to follow any rules since this is actually relatively new that we can actually be married, but you know, we're raising two kids, we have a home, we both have very sedentary jobs where we have to show up to a you know, like teaching, I can't not, you know, I can't even be gone for a couple days. Substitute sure. can't handle so much. So like we didn't have a life at all that would allow us to just travel the world freely. So yeah. we had to start to shift our mindset. Like, well, what could we do? Like, I don't know what I could do to make money that I could live from my laptop. That sounds glorious, but. Sure. Wow. yeah. So that's a little bit like we were started. We just started with like, what, what what, if? Like, sort of like you, like, hmm, could we live in an RV? I don't know. Everybody else says this is crazy, but like, I feel like maybe we could. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's no crazier than doing the other things we do in life, but just everyone else is doing it. So it seems really safe. And to your point, which is, you know, where there's nobody with kids doing this. If you get out on the road and you meet people, you realize there's tons of people. It's just not the people that you surround yourself with now because their yeah. kids go to school every day. They show up to a job every day. They go to piano lessons. They don't, realize that they can do it because they don't know other people doing it but we got out there even traveling nomadically globally we met people with five kids in tow uh wow. they do it just fine they they from from all ages from infant to you know 14 year olds who normally would be in a different program but they they just reprogram themselves to say this is what life is this is how we do it this is how our kids make friends this is how we make friends when we live somewhere for three months at a time so yeah it, it is possible it's just the circle your circle of influence isn't it, been around that. So like we didn't know the nomadic community was such a powerful thing until we got out into the world.
0: Got it. Now the, the transition that you guys made from the sedentary, the sedentary jobs to traveling internationally, that wasn't something it sounds like that wasn't something that happened in a, you know what? Screw it. I quit. And then you just buy one way tickets and then just sort of see what happens. I don't, That would very much sound like your personality to me, as I know you, but I don't know if (laughs) I don't know if that's actually what happened. Like, what was what was the transition to saying? Well, how how because you were then the way that you just described yourselves, you were then how Carrie and I are right now. We are in a position where we can buy the rv and live in the rv but we have to physically be here i have a delivery business that needs to operate my wife has a tutoring business where she sits she sits across a table with children multiple times a day like this is not exactly something that can be flip a switch and then poof you're online and i can be doing this from bangladesh like the, the there's going to be a transition involved how did that process work for you guys Well, for Steve, he did one day after the the traveling, he's like, I'm not doing that
1: anymore. (laughs) So it was a big switch. So that actually was a sudden stop. That changed our life in a lot of ways. Um, We had to do things, odd jobs to kind of pick up that until we figured out what we were doing. Really, I started with the side hustle. Like, I want to start something now that could eventually be something and uh, I didn't know what to do. And that's when I started. F- I had been following people like Leo Babata from Zen Habits and Chris <laughs> Guillebeau and Pat Flynn's and Yarrow Starks from Entrepreneur's Journey. But I didn't really know. I didn't want to be a blogger. Uh, I wasn't sure about affiliate marketing, but I was trying to figure out, well, what can I offer? What? Like, yeah. w- so it took me a while. And it really it took me just putting myself out there, trying things and getting to know that community because I didn't know that community as well as not knowing the international community, so I was really new to any of that. So, okay. the first thing was, how do I connect to these people who are doing it? Like, let me leap, let me. I want to leapfrog over like this uh, kind of pain and get mm-hmm. to know people who are doing it and learn quickly. So that's that's basically how I started writing the first book. Like, I want to learn how to to leap from where I am to where they are, but I don't want to do it. I'm not going back to school. Obviously, they don't teach you this how to how to travel the world and you know, make money online in school. So I go, that won't work, but I have to learn from somebody. So uh, that's what we start doing is start connecting with people, learning and trying things and failed a lot, but at very low risks. So yeah, so that that was the first step. Like I knew that. So I started doing some coaching um, before we left to Shanghai. I was coaching a school with the idea that, look, I'm still coaching my clients online. If you're okay with me doing that, um, as well as going to do some outside consulting to other schools around the world, I will take the job. And they agreed. So it's kind of like I got them to agree to what I was already starting so that they wouldn't be surprised when I was doing it or like mm-hmm. wonder, oh, what are you doing with your time? Or why are you taking three days off to go coach another school in another part of the world? Or mm-hmm. so like it was a building the mindset in that this is who I am. And uh, yeah, that, that was the first step. <laughs>
0: Not to mention, I guess that you sort of. Not to mention, I would imagine that you were probably relatively good at what you did. Is that you? wouldn't have had the 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 career where you were sort of in and out of the the principalships that that you had, unless you had some sort of a positive track record. But and and obviously that helps because yeah, you know, if if you're if you're a mediocre. If you're a mediocre employee, a mediocre teacher, you're antisocial. Everybody hates you. You, know, you 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 have no particular positive track record other than the fact that you've been doing this thing, whatever the thing is, for 15 years, and then you went to. The- Said, you know what? I think I'm going to take partial part of every week off, and you know, try to spread my mediocreness to the other schools in the uh, in the district. What do you What do you all think of that? I can't imagine that you'd probably have a similar positive response, but I also don't know the California school system, so I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I I think
1: I was pretty good at what I did. I just it wasn't where I wanted to be forever. Sure. So it was, yeah. I was, I did the my my work. I did really well. I was really successful. Constantly turning down, uh, you know. Would you be a director again? Would you be assistant superintendent again? No, I. Please God, no. So right, (laughs) so like just because I was good at it wasn't didn't mean I was supposed to stay there, and that was kind of a hard thing. Is like this is comfortable, like healthcare. I got all this healthcare. I got time off in the summer. Uh I think comfortability is a really enemy of of being amazing. Is like you get comfortable and good, and that's so different than being uh, really you know, full and joyful and have freedom and be amazing. So I'm not that I'm amazing, but I, I want, I have a more aptitude to do things that are bigger and broader than I thought I could do. So yeah, I did. I have a pretty good reputation. I I got, I could still go back to that world and do really well. I just, I just knew that I needed to leverage what I have been building, which is my human capital to do things like, Hey, I'm leaving. I want to leave on good terms. Uh, And it was, you know, well accepted.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally get the, how, how comfort is, how comfort can absolutely be an enemy. It can, comfort can be a comfort, pardon, pardon that, but I totally get, because that's exactly the trap. If you want to call it a trap, that's where I, that's where I am. When I, I was part of a small business when I was 16, I was, I was 100% commissioned salesperson from age 19, just about 20, all the way through 27 28 it was the most unpredictable and terrifying and fun time of my life and you know with obvious down upsides and downsides that go along with it. and then I sort of stumble upon you know, when I when I ha- stumble upon an opportunity to find a solid, regular, well-paying, you know consistent safe route which is where i am now and it's not a job i'm still self employed it's still my business i can still go nuts and try to expand or contract it or you know whatever but it's still it's it's contracted government work it's subcontractor through government work and it's very nice it's very warm and very cozy and i can't ever ever get away and, but it pays great, but I can't ever get away and it's consistent. And I know my schedule, but I can't ever get away. Like the, it's that, it's that exact trap. It's like you, you're, you get all of the positive things that you've ever been told from every person in your former profession, that these are the things that you strive for because it makes life so much less stressful when you don't have any of that variety, like, they there hidden way of saying it is if you eliminate all variety in your life then you're just going to be a lot happier so 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 untrue as i've as i've come to find out
1: right so we traded zeros behind our paycheck for freedom and at first it's terrifying because you're like i have freedom and i'm terrified um because every dollar is on me, and yep. uh, but what what happens is when you shift your mindset, it's mm-hmm. it's it's freedom is worth so much. So like we can buy a one way ticket to Portugal and stay, and rent a place and stay, and or leave, pack up and leave, uh, mm-hmm. or go to wherever we want. And our business actually continues to thrive because we built it that way. Yeah, and so it, it it is a mindset shift about what's safe, because. What's safe now is I can build my business and grow it um, wherever I'm at, and I could, uh, you know, do certain things I couldn't do before. That the hard part is, is you don't build yourself another job, right? If you create yourself your own job, your own trap, which is really easy to do, sure, um, you're stuck again eventually. Even if you start making zeros after your, you know, yep, after your uh, first initial check. So the the caution is like make sure you build something that will grow without you as well as grow with you. So you. You can leverage yourself in and out of your business whenever you choose, and not necessarily be uh, stuck in your own nine to five um, yeah. opportunity. So we've we try to do that. We try to leverage that. We try to grow things that are going to be long term solutions for our lifestyle, where we could have a home in many countries and. You know, gather flags as they call it in the nomad world, where you might have your healthcare here, you might have your business in that country, you might have a house here, you might have some assets over there, uh, which seems so crazy and foreign to us when we first started this journey a few years ago, but now sure. it, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Now, walk what, me what through walk me through the logistics of the initial leap over whether it be overseas. I don't know where you made. Where your first jump was for once you cut the cord, per se, and decided to travel full time. Was your first travel within the United States just for safety measure, if nothing else? Or did you – was the very first you know ditching the stuff, ditching the house, first trip, was that overseas?
1: I'll let Steve answer because I think – yeah, he'll, he'll be able to talk to that.
2: Um, well, I was kind of racking my brain because I'm like, which life was, is this, you know, which answer do I give? Because the first one as a family, uh, that took place three years ago and that was a formal, a formal move to Shanghai, to China. And that was, you know, like I said, out of the blue, an opportunity presented, there had been other opportunities that presented, but not necessarily international. And, you know, the reflection to three, to three years ago, standing on a peak overlooking the city of Hong Kong and remembering that conversation with Azula, I think this could be somewhere we could actually live and the kids could come and they'd have such an adventure and a different perspective on the world. That, that came, um, about, Well, I guess that was five years ago when I was there. Three years ago, as well, got a recruitment uh, formally. So the organization that worked with us was a school, and they actually helped facilitate a lot of the move. Um, Now things get a little bit complicated because we did have a daughter Who was 16 at the time, going on 17? She was 17 when we actually made the move. So Um, super,
0: so super stoked about leaving her community and going going to a country where she doesn't speak the language. uh,
2: (laughs) Yeah, you can only imagine, right? So um, because and those are sensitive those topics. Like, but wait, that means I won't be with my the senior class I've always been with for my senior prom or for this event or that, and Mm -hmm. um. It's all those, I thought I was going to have one more last thing. And that quickly came to, you know, we, we we had a lot of discussion. It was actually between the three of us. Her brother was, had been accepted and had made plans to go on to um, an art school. And so he was graduating high school that year. And, but having that, I think having the family conversation around it, and then also having some, but what might this mean differently, you know? And so she, her conclusion was, this is like I get to go study abroad for a year, but I actually get to bring my parents with me. How cool is that, you know? And then, um, or uncool is that depending or on the uncool. kid. <laughs> 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 Thankfully for us, it was pretty cool. And um, for that last year of of her school year, you know, she was with other kids from all over the world. Um, and and I, I guess I, I should mention, because some people listening might not realize, there's a whole world out there um, of expatriates, of expats, and also from people of all walks of life that, you know, they have their kids with them. And for some reason, they've ended up in all these different countries, and they need to go to school. They need um, an American education that's going to return them right back and, and bring them into a college environment, or whatever they seek, that has that credential, if you will, so... That's kind of what started it, but um, after she graduated, you know that she was there for one year. So then we we stayed on. Um, the next move, we didn't know where we were going to go. We we knew uh, about a year ago that we were we were going to formally end our contractual arrangement with the school that that Azul had gone there to work with, mm-hmm. um, and I had subsequently act- worked at the school last year for the school year um in a different role in administration and uh and that was interesting too you know being a same-sex couple going to china is probably one of the last places we thought we would ever go um the first year we went i i couldn't have uh, azul had a job and had a visa that went along with it that would bring his daughter there but but it wouldn't bring a same-sex spouse i was
0: gonna say not you sure
2: no, so I had to go to China as a tourist. Um I wasn't rec- I wasn't recognized. Uh and you know, we kinda knew that going into it. It was it was like that's their
0: rules. This is how it goes. Oh, and on on that, I'm sorry, just a sure, quick caveat. Sure, sure. Was that because of a US based regulation or was, was that a China based regulation?
2: No, it was China and okay. I guess things globally things are kind of moving because as we become much more of a global economy, you'll find that there are people in positions of all different types with global organizations and they, they're, they at times need to work in these countries that have different, uh, different rules and different respect for, you know, honoring marriage however you define it sure um but i I know that china is definitely one of those where it's a big question mark and some of the companies are able to get their same-sex couples in and there's just i don't think it's really officially out on their website if you if you (laughs) if you go google it you're not going to find it pardon pardon the pun there anyway go (laughs) ahead but um (laughs) but we decided it was worth it. I was like, you know, at the worst case scenario, if I can get a tourist visa, which I did. And at the time, they had they'd changed it to where you could go for 10 years. Uh, it was a 10-year visa, but you can only Jeez. stay as an American for 60 days at a time. Or some people would get 90 days. It just sort of depends on your situation. For me, it mm-hmm. was 60. So basically, I had to leave, leave mainland China every 60 days and have my passport stamped to show that, that I've been gone. Um, so I did that the first year. Um, and can then I, I have an I opportunity. Can I ask you? Can so. I ask you
0: how you manage that? Like, did you find did you find the closest the closest border w- <laughs> walk across and then walk back, or was that was that the plan? Is like, okay, we're going back to visit the parents every sixty days. I'll Azul visit yours and then come back. Like, was that? Were you sort of like the logistical international family courier, or <laughs> like what were? Did you literally just for, just go through the motions of walking across the border and then walking back. Like how did you manage that? Like that's that's kind of a big point, I think, for people to hear
2: well definitely for someone in that situation where they're kind of like going into it, I was like, how in the heck am I gonna make this work? I mean, and me being an engineer and having done all this data analytics, like I'm the pivot table, you know, Excel guru of the family. So I had before we even left, you know, before we made made our way there, I had made a spreadsheet that basically calculated what the dates were. And I was like, I'm not going to stay for 60 days because there's no way in hell that I'm going to get stuck out of China or in China in some kind of holding cell <laughs> where I've broken <laughs> broken rules, you know. Um, so I think I had set it to like 56 or 58 days maximum. And uh, I seriously had a spreadsheet that just like walked through the entire school year uh, to get us to next summer. And I would buy, um, I'd look for deals and just book a flight. I think almost every time that we weren't traveling as a family, because the great thing about being in that region, we were able to hop a four hour flight to Bangkok and explore Thailand for a long weekend or for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we went lots of places, the Philippines, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia. Um, just Thank incredible. you for pronouncing
0: it correctly. Oh, so um, few, so few people I hear actually pronounce (laughs) Lao correctly. It's amazing. Anyway, go ahead.
2: By the way, if you ever can go, there are certain things about Luang Prabang, which which is in Lao in the northern part close to the Thai border, which is just phenomenal. It's amazing uh, to see these places and know that the history that goes along with it. But um, Hong, Hong Kong was sufficient. So because they are technically run you know a little bit different these days and they're they're still somewhat autonomous Mm -hmm. from mainland china that was sufficient um and that also brings up that they don't they don't have the exact same rules for visitation so it's it's much easier to visit hong kong Uh, as an american i didn't have to pursue a special visa five years ago to go there but to go to china to go to china um I did not hire a service, a passport visa service Mm -hmm. to do the paperwork for me. I did everything on my own and we lived in San Diego at the time, uh, three years ago. So I just, I made these runs back and forth to the Chinese consulate in LA. Is that a decision you regret? Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So if I can throw out a little bit of advice, it's, it's not much money, and it's so worth it to use um, an agency. The, the one that I used eventually later for my work visa, because I had a work visa last year, uh, just made the experience very smooth, very easy. Pop it in an overnight you know, FedEx envelope, and then the next thing you know, you've got your visa, um, and they take care of a lot of it for you.
0: Now, is that is that strong recommendation for people specifically going to China or just based on your experiences for people that are looking to extensively stay overseas to work with any sort of agency that does this? Is that is it is it a lot easier to figure this out if you're going to Europe than it is to China or is it equally horrendous?
2: I You know, Europe, it seems, is a lot easier in general it, if you are a U.S. citizen, um, they have pretty specific, straightforward rules to follow. And uh, many times you just go, you, you know, you're welcome in a lot of these countries without without much question. You know, they might ask, well, when are you leaving or what do you have your return trip? But China's a little bit different um, in a lot of ways. And I think for someone who's never gone there at all, um, don't be afraid to go, but also do a little bit of research. I think it's one of the places where I'm actually happy to work with a tour operator or someone who's a tour guide or at least a local connection. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you get out of the cities like Shanghai or Beijing or you know, you, it's even for people who are from China, Mm -hmm. They go out to the countryside, to small villages or towns, which is where you, where I would highly encourage people to explore Yeah, um, because that's where you get, I got a sense of like, oh, wow, this is a China that I never even knew existed and it's magical, you know? Um, But the people that came with me from Shanghai even had a hard time, like the local people had a hard time understanding each other. (laughs) 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 So if you go on your own, you know, just know that it's, it's one of those places you kind of have to seek out help. Got and it. Then, um, I guess since we were we were in China for two years. So last year we made the decision to go all in on our business uh, just a little over a year ago. And then we were just we weren't in the position to spin the globe so much. But we knew we didn't want to come back and repatriate to the U.S. full time. Uh, we love the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely love being American. Uh, and one of the great things about being American is we have the freedom of movement, and we can actually explore the world so um, and contribute in a different way, I think, both when we come back here and when we're abroad um, so we ended up uh, a, one year ago last week, we went to Portugal mm-hmm. just as a it was our spring break from school, so we were like okay let 's go somewhere somewhere we might want to venture to, so we did that um. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, we went in the north and the south, Porto and Lisbon, and then um, decided we needed more time there. So we spent about almost two and a half months in the fall,
0: mm-hmm.
2: just less than a year ago, just a few months ago. That's where we were. And then we head back there next month. So for right now, I guess we're kind of in a mode of we're empty nesters. Our daughter graduated. She went on to university. Our son is doing his own thing. He's a photographer. Um they like to come visit us or meet up with us or we meet up with them in the U S but other than that, we're uh, we're sort of footloose and fancy free if you will. And
0: yeah, I go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: uh, I was just going to say that, you know, it doesn't answer some of the things that I think are a challenge for people, which is how do you fit into a community uh, if you're doing something like that? And all I would say is it just pushes us out more. Um, I don't say, gee, I'd really love to learn the language, Portuguese or, you know, Chinese or Spanish or whatever, wherever it is I am, I have to make a commitment and say, look, by the end of the first week, when I get there, I have, I have to find a tutor, I have to find a place where I can connect, and then that's going to get me out. Then I'm going to meet locals. Then I'm going to actually be doing something, accomplishing something, but I'm also going to connect with the community.
0: Got so, it. Now, get getting back to that, that first the starting the starting of this adventure. You, you mentioned that your your daughter was coming out at sixteen. Well, like sixteen going on seventeen. Now yep. that her mindset of, oh, this is kind of cool. I get to basically study abroad but have my parents with me. Was that something that that was that something that hit her before you left and stuck? The entire time or was, were, were there some ups and downs there? What, what was that experience like? Cause I imagine, you know, traveling internationally, oh, that sounds cool. And then a month later, I really miss my best friend. I really miss my friends. Dad, I want to go home. Like the, I can, I can totally see that happening. So what was that? Were those early stages? I mean, was she just a trooper and she was as into it as you were or was, was there some transition there?
1: No, this is Asul, I'll answer that. Um, you know, the truth is, it happens to everyone. You're like, what did I just do? Um you know the first they say if you make it through the first three months you're good that's a good litmus test for people who can make it abroad because everything's so different from like getting a cell phone was like a major challenge because <laughs> you can imagine how complex plans are in in the, in in u.s market but like going to another place where you don't understand what they're telling you yeah and even with the translator you're not sure you're getting it right and you know so th- there was like struggle for all of us and she was just a part of us um She wanted to be on the adventure, but once you make it through, like this is rough, and you start making friends, you start doing things, you start realizing I could order stuff, I could get a taxi. So there's a little bit of a ninety day hump. I feel like if you can get over that, Um, but then we're like, she was got on a volleyball team, and their first tournament outside of their school was in Bangkok. So it was like you immediately leap into like an international world. Like, oh my gosh, Bangkok is like they're doing a trip. So immediately we started traveling, and I think that helped go like, wow, we're. We're international people. So she's to the point now she always texting. uh, So can I go to Portugal? Can I get a Eurorail pass? Can I travel? Um, She wants to go abroad in her junior year at school to study in Paris. She has no fear. She went to Bali by herself. Um, So I think you start to shift the way you see the world. And so now she's very much confident about traveling the world and not so much about, well, can I or can I do that? So it did take a while, but it was true for all of us in a new country has that feeling if you know you're gonna be there a while, if you're just visiting, you don't really worry about like, oh well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. But if you're like, I need to get a taxi to get to the hospital, I barely know how to explain where I live, let alone how to get to somewhere else, those moments sure. can get a little frustrating. But yeah, no, she was I think she was all in. She liked the freedom because in Shanghai it's relatively safe. She could go out at night they don't have restrictions on age so she could go to clubs she could go with her friends she could she felt like she was adulting and like that was cool so it was like a new adventure that she didn't have in the US which is really restrictive to young people doesn't Very let them do so, anything yeah. they have to pretend they have to act like they're not adults until they
0: become <laughs> one and they don't have no idea how to act so i think that part was really exciting for her yeah no, that's 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 awesome i mean, i remember it, in a previous conversation that you and i had you mentioned where it had progressed to the point where you know, originally, originally, effectively, originally you guys were picking the destinations and then eventually she got in on the action with with that part where she started sort of saying, "It's like, Hey, well, can we go here? And you were like, well, let's, let's, let's sit down and try and figure it out and see if we can. And yeah, I, I find, I find that process to be fascinating because that's, that's the part, that's one of the parts that's, almost more exciting to me and Carrie than anything else is giving this opportunity to our kids at such an early age, because we're, we're recording this, we're recording this episode on the, the, um, the middle of April, just a few days before my oldest's third birthday. And our, our second one is at the very beginning of May is going to be turning one. So they're very young. So this process is going to be, I think, really fun, but also not, not at all earth shattering to them. Because they don't know the other way. They don't, they don't have 15-year-old friends yet that we're effectively pulling them away from to start this process. And something, Azul, well that, you know, I think you know, we could have an interesting conversation about is that one of the reasons for us wanting to do this is the type of education that we want to provide our kids. Like we want to give them a legitimate international take on their education. And that's just because we've we've gotten hook, line, and sinker on the fact that, that the American educational system has massive, massive flaws that are impossible to fix or damn close to impossible to fix. Yeah, it started because. And keep in mind, my wife is a teacher. She you know, she she's a special she's a special ed certified language arts teacher. So she came from the classroom. She left the classroom right about when a couple of weeks before our first daughter was born with plans of going back and in the meantime prior to going back the plan was to take a year off, raise our daughter to a little over 1 and then start start childcare and then go back to the classroom. Like that right. was the that was the original plan. But with my wife, I love her madly, but she couldn't sit still during those times. She's like, and not because she can't help not doing something. It's more she felt that she wasn't contributing to the family by not working, even though she was raising our daughter. So she just she needed to do something to contribute financially to the family. So she decided, you know what, maybe I'm just gonna ramp up my private tutoring a little bit. And just so that she could contribute. And then that turned into her having a bursting at the seams tutoring business where she literally does not have a spare second to squeeze in new clients now, which I think is absolutely wonderful. But she has clients and kids that she tutors that she's got kids that go to inner city schools whose tutoring fee is paid by like the grandparents that live in Atlanta and she's got the kids that go to the $25,000 a year elementary schools she's got the kids that go to the public schools in the more affluent suburbs that are supposedly the highest ranked schools in the in the state like she's got crossing every every line that you could possibly imagine she's got students that that come from every different background every different geography every different race etc every time that her and I sit down and talk about it she says all of these kids are equally screwed up and they're, screw- like, they're screwed up in the same way. They're all missing some of the most basic fundamentals that started so long ago, like kindergarten, first grade all the way through elementary and middle and high school, like all of the most basic of fundamentals, the stuff is missing. She's like, it's missing in all of them. She's like, I'm, I'm working with high school kids that can't figure out high school math because they screwed up in first grade. And it was just, they were just passed along, which messed up second more, which messed up third more and all the way up. So she's like, now, because I had because she was a teacher and we had a kid, uh, my first, co- you know, one of the conversations that we had early on was, hey, would, would you ever think about homeschooling? Not with any intention of traveling, but would you ever consider doing homeschool since, you know, we've got a kid, you're a teacher. Ha ha ha. Ma- makes makes sense to me logistically. And she was like, hell no, I am not going to cross that line. I don't want to also be the disciplinarian and the teacher. That's not my role. Blah, blah, blah. And then she tutored for a year and a half of all of these different types of kids. And she's like, if I'm going to have to fix these holes in our daughter and now both of our daughters, if I'm going to end up having to do all of this work anyway, because clearly there's no one school that fixes these problems because I've got kids from every school and none of them have fixed this problem. So there's, there's something systemic going on here. She's like, if I'm going to end up having to go back and fix all these problems, I might as well just do it myself. So that's when we started looking into homeschooling and unschooling and all of the opportunities that are in that world. And we're like, man, how, how awesome would it be to teach geography by sailing a boat for six months? rather than or let's or let's let let's learn let's learn fractions by sending her to a young person's culinary school in paris for a few months or whatever it is and and that's what that is where our idea for international travel came from we're like this is the kind of education we want to give to our kids oh by the way Damn, it would be cool to see the Great Wall of China. Oh, and then we started checking off, you know, different things that we wanted to do. So it all sort of started with this idea of how can we self educate our kids in the most effective way, you know, and obviously have them yeah. on board, have them on board with the process. Right. You know, I think
1: most people. To your point, you, have, you talked about a lot. I could respond to a lot. and Sure. I'd, rather than pivot towards an educational conversation, which I think would be easy, sure. um, would be to talk about most people think that I meet. that I mentioned that I could, took my daughter when she was a senior. She's like, oh, yeah, well, if my kids were older, I would. I'm like, if you had older kids, you was like, oh, if my kids were younger, I would. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's such a cop-out, like a big cop-out. My daughter went her senior year. And People think, Oh, was it hard to go? It's hard as you want it to have made to be. She chose to go, we didn't make her go. Uh, but um, she had an amazing experience. She studied Chinese, she finished by her freshman year, she finished all levels of Chinese. She can write and wow. speak Chinese, uh, she, but she chose to do that. She didn't, we didn't make her do it. Um, but but people who think, Oh, when my kids grow older, I would love to have your lifestyle. I wish we would have done this 10 years ago and not <laughs> waited. Um, I, I think. I had an inclination to do it when my kids were young. I just didn't because I saw all the obstacles and didn't see the barriers. And I remember telling somebody, oh, I'd love to move to Barcelona. And my friend said, well, why don't you? And I'm like, well, you know, he's like, no, tell me why can't you. Oh, I don't
0: know. Tell me. (laughs) And
1: I was stumbling and I was like, I still didn't take the action then for lots of reasons. But I realized, oh, this is just me making up excuses. I really don't have a reason why I can't. Uh, this is all about what I believe. So, you know, same thing with businesses. Like if you think you can't do your business online, uh, it's because you believe you can't, not because you there's not a way to make what you do what what you're good at, what your your gifts are, what your talents are in a, a space where you can travel. We just believe we can't because it's so rooted in us. Um and I that's what I would offer to people who are out there wondering, what would it be like to travel? I don't know. Just do it. Like try something like for us we we just we chose to get rid of all our stuff not to rent out our house not to uh to put it in storage we decided to just sell everything so we don't own any furniture really uh besides a few knickknacks we don't have that much stuff we try to give away as much stuff as before we acquire more so we're always very lean because we want to keep our lifestyle simple and um but that's a conscious choice, so that we don't ever feel like we have to have stuff to feel like we're home. We want to mm-hmm. feel like home is just where we set up, um, and that's been a really like liberating thing that I didn't experience before I shifted my mind.
0: Yeah, that that's definitely a mindset that's been setting in pretty strongly with us as we've been going through stuff and getting rid of it. But it's really helped us decide what things are important for us to keep or whether it be to store or to bring with us into the RV, like what things do we actually care about? Much things do we actually not? And it's like, what is that thing there? Is that thing over there on the shelf because we love it? Or is it over there on the shelf because you need something on the shelf? And that, that process has been really liberating for us and for Again, like you mentioned, for for people that are listening, I think that that's definitely a really great process for you to go through. Whether you're considering international travel or even domestic travel, like with us, it's not like it's not like we can pack up an RV and ship it. It like, and you know, it's not like we can drive our one-ton pickup truck and RV over to China. It's, we'd uh, we'd run into a few barriers between here and there. But whether it's domestic or international, like imagine he's like imagine you had to purge 95 percent of your possessions what is that five percent that would stick like if you were leaving the u.s let's just say permanently and you had to bring five percent of what you were what you currently own with you what are those things and i think that that really can help focus at least that's what it's done with us is it's really helped us to focus on the things that we legitimately care about. And then the other things that were just sort of pardon the, you know, pardon the pun, but window dressing, like what, what stuff matters and what stuff doesn't and what stuff matters as a couple and what doesn't, what matters to your kids and what doesn't like kid, like, and especially for those that are looking to travel with kids Kids care a hell of a lot less about the crap that's sitting around than us adults are willing to give them credit for. It's like if you like it with all the thousands of toys that you see strewn around the floor of any you know, like any average American household that has a toddler, you look around. It's like oh well, we have to ha- we have to get get these kids all the toys because other, you know the, it needs to keep their attention. It needs to keep their attention. D- click. Press the delete key on ninety percent of the stuff that was on that floor. The kids wouldn't even notice it was gone, and would spend the rest of the time with the things that were left. They don't care. We do. So I I definitely recommend that that little exercise of just sort of look. It's like look around, look around the kitchen. What's the stuff that you use in the kitchen ninety percent of the time, and what's the stuff that you use once a year or every other year when you throw a house, you know, a house party that you swore to God that you would do at least once a month when you moved into the house six years ago. You know, it's right. just just kind of go, go, through, go through that process. Like, what do you use? What do you not? What do you care about? What do you not? I think that traveling or otherwise, I think that's an important exercise to go through. How did you guys pare down to what is what, – what did I hear you say once? Two suitcases basically? Yeah, two
1: suitcases each. Was um... that
0: – was that a was that sort of a blind slashing or h- how thoughtful was that process at first it was like
1: really hard like th- there's twofold one there's like your clothes you realize you don't wear most of your clothes you wear the same six things yeah um so realizing that even though it's a really good jacket or really nice pair of shoes you love, mm-hmm. do you wear them? Do you yeah. love them and wear them? If you don't love them and wear them, they probably can serve somebody else. Um, so that process of like daily things that we could wear that we don't took a while. That got easier and easier. Like, oh, I don't care, I don't care. You know, I have you know basically two weeks worth of outfits that I could wear at any given time and mix and match. Um, the things that were mm-hmm. hard to get rid of were things that we toted around with ourselves. All over the the, the world uh, or country, like letters from my second grade, you know, love interests, or like uh, just bills, you know, that I had for some reason I thought I needed, and paper, a lot of papers, books, so many books that I read once, some that I didn't even read at all. Uh, moved from place to place, I realized. Look, I, I I am an author, I do coach authors, but I don't need to carry all of these books with me. So like uh, being okay with the fact that I could buy them again. Um, I could easily buy the Kindle version or audiobook. So just making decisions about my behaviors, my behaviors were simple. Uh, I looked around and said, do I use this stuff every day? I don't use this stapler. Oh, I have six staplers. I, I don't really even need a stapler on a regular basis. Um, things like that. So it just took emotionally letting go of it. Uh, let Steve talk about it as well, but it was, it was definitely a process.
0: Yeah, Steve. What about you? Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, as Azul was talking about all the papers, and I mean, particularly anything that was like uh, just stuff that we had held on to. You know, like it was like a, a, an episode of that one of those hoarder shows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know at one point we we had a b- big bonfire. Um oh Jesus. <laughs> we had one of those like, you know, the outdoor um like fire rings or whatever. Fire yeah. pit, yeah. Yeah. And um before we did that though, it and I would encourage people, you know, there's nothing wrong with have being sentimental. I'm like a sentimental fool and I had held on to stuff from childhood um that I really didn't, you know, I didn't need it, so so to speak, but it, mm-hmm. it was It it mattered. It was important. Or uh, maybe it's a piece of art or something that you made or someone gave you. Um, You don't have to get rid of everything. But one thing that we did do, we both uh, took photos. We just used our iPhone and we took photos of, you know, I took photos of certain postcards or letters that that a mentor had written to me while I was in college or someone who really cared about me, things like that, that were just sort of like, I never want to let this go or let that feeling go that it was attached to it. Yeah. Um, but they went into the bonfire. I took photos of them, but then I released (laughs) them and I, you know, I think some people will resonate more with this than others, but set an intention around it. Why are you letting it go? Is it to better your life or is it holding you back? Um, and in a lot of cases, what I found was a lot of that shit was holding me back. Pardon my uh, phrase there, but yeah, it was We're just, fine. Yeah. I didn't need it. Didn't need it. And, um, and even like if it's something visual art that can just stay behind or stay with a loved one, relative, whatever, and you can park it in storage, take a photo of it. Bring it with you in some way, but mm. you don't have to bring the physical object um, for stuff like that. Cause that, I'm a little bit of a creative type. And so that kind of, that's the stuff I didn't want to let go. I was like, oh, but I want to bring this with me. Well, you you kind of can. And um,
0: it doesn't have to be the physical thing. No, that's all. Yeah, that's great. It's funny. I right in the middle of that, I was about to interject and say something. And then right, right. When you said "Is like, is, you know, is this stuff something that's better in your life or the stuff that's holding you back? That just kind of hit me like a truck because <laughs> I, I, the second that you said that, I was like, Oh damn. That's exactly like cuz that that's exactly the thought process that I've been avoiding with some of the stuff that we've been going through the process of, you know, purging and going through and whatever and I'm like, "Well, no, he's like, "We want to keep this because of this, we want to keep this because of this." And like uh, uh. <laughs> This shit's and, just, this shit's just keeping me here. I, like th- 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 yeah. That's all that's doing right now is keeping me here. I haven't looked at it in five years. Like oh. clearly I don't care that much about it. Like had I, my, had my wife, <laughs> like, had my wife gone down into the basement and thrown this box away six months ago, I would have never known. Like I would ne- like, it's cause I understand like if it's something that's right in front of your face that you care about or touch or feel or snuggle with or whatever the hell it is, you know, every single day, it's a different story. But like the stuff for the sake of stuff is just, it's been, that's been a incredibly liberating, you know, mindset for me, but there's still, I've still had things that I've been, you know what, like, uh, I'm just holding this just to hold it. Why the hell am I doing that?
2: And and I'll I'll tell you this, Jason. I appreciate you saying that because that's the part. It it there are days like that kind of stuff. It's not easy at all. Like, um, there were tears tears shed. You know, like seriously, it was kind of like, what are we doing? Like we're we're just letting go of everything, and in reality, it 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 was a liberation. Yeah. Um, and you get to decide. You know, each one of us gets to decide. What am I going to let go of? And there are certain things, you know, little mementos or a little craft project that your child made or something that's, it's like near and dear, mm-hmm. just fi- find a place that it can be kept, that's not going to weigh you down for your travels and park it there. And interestingly enough, Azul and I did that and we have boxes, several boxes that are stacked inside of a really small closet in a spare bedroom at his mom's house. And they've been there for three years. We haven't really opened them. We opened them to look for, look for something once. Other than that, everything stayed put. There's a comfort in knowing that it's still there. Yeah. But what it's taught us, because we didn't have access to it, is we really we need the memory of it. We need to, the nostalgia of it, but we don't need the, the
1: thing Yet. most of the time.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: And I would say, like, I realized yeah. I was doing looking through. I was like, oh, I kept my first iPhone. Why did I keep my first iPhone? <laughs> like, I still have stuff I have to get rid of. Like, even paring down to nothing, I was like, how did I count this as one of the things I needed? Like, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, so there's still more of it to be done. I think it's a, a daily process because every day you encounter stuff here, at least in the in America, stuff is plentiful. You go to a conference, they give you stuff. You oh, go to God, the doctor's office, you get stuff. Here's here's a tooth cleaning kit. Here's stuff. You get Every You get stuff everywhere and you have to decide, I don't need stuff. Even when we travel, we try to it, take a photograph or bring in the memory or what is there something here I need that I would wear or use every day? If not, then we're just going to hold on to the memory. We don't need to stuff our house full of relics from every part of the world uh, to prove we've been there unless <clears> we really think that it's going to change our lives. So that's another thing. is like We don't go gathering trinkets um, necessarily um, around the world. Because I think that's easily another trap that we could have gotten into is, like, we do have stuff. I'm not saying we don't buy stuff if if it strikes us, like, really interesting. But I think for part of us is, like, we we have to stop thinking that we need 14 light bulbs because they're on sale at Walmart, um, just in case. (laughs) Or the scissors that cut, you know, that shear credit cards. Or, you know, all the stuff that we get in America that we don't need. If I need a gift wrapped, I don't need wrapping paper i could actually have it gift wrapped go to some place go here Could you wrap all these and for a very small fee they'll do it and i don't need a box store stored and special <laughs> scissors and tape like i i even can do it online and have someone wrap it and ship it I, there's so many things now that i don't need that i might have even necess- needed before so again thank you for for, for asking all these questions I, ho- I hope i don't know if it's interesting to anybody else but it definitely reminds us of what what we set out to do
0: well i'm sure i'm sure it's thoroughly interesting to people that are actually thinking about they're actively thinking about traveling themselves I think I think this information has been great for people that don't care I apologize but if you've listened this far you know that's your fault <laughs> anyway the, I I do I do though think that that's a pretty solid point to wrap up on is that just remember, remember as we go, as you're going through your stuff, remember that your stuff is just take your stuff, whatever it is, is, is simply taking up space, which is probably why you need the, that's why you need the size house that you have. That's why you need the size apartment that you have. Like it's literally just a box to keep your stuff. If you go through. Like like what you just mentioned, as simple as it is, as simple of an exercise as it is, you mentioned about the wrapping paper. It's like if you've got a box and a half of wrapping paper of basically stuff that's completely useless to you outside of for a, the span of a single day every year, it's like if you multiply the process of ditching that and just getting it wrapped when you buy it, multiply that by – 50 different things that are just like that, that you just keep for just in case that just completely cleared out all of the crap in your basement or all of the crap in your attic. Or if you're like some people, all of the crap that's just laying on the floor in your bedroom, uh, the, the, you all of a sudden don't necessarily need as big of a space, and that's sort of where we are. That's what took us towards the RV. It's like once you start going through all this stuff, you start to realize it's like, hey, you don't need the giant – he's like, you don't need the giant house. You don't need the giant space. You don't need the – also, you also don't need the storage unit on top of the giant house because you know no one – cares about all of this crap five minutes after you acquire it and it just sticks around forever this the, that that 95 percent exercise is something that i just really think is something that could be useful regardless of what your plans are i mean it sounds like you guys have gone through that process and still do so i definitely think that that's a that's a worthwhile endeavor for but for everybody yeah um before we get before we wrap up with the with the one question that I like to ask everybody on the show is there anything else on this in this area that you guys want to share with me or share with the audience because keep in mind I'm brand new to the world this world and uh, you guys have obviously been doing this for years so is there is there something that you guys wish I would have asked that I didn't or is there something that you want to make sure that gets mentioned on this topic.
1: I would say just don't fear making a mistake when you're doing something like planning to travel or go abroad. Like there's no rules to do it right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, build as much safety into it as you need. You don't need to be like us and sell everything. You could easily (laughs) do what you're doing, which is like, I'll rent the house. Let's see if this works. Like take as much risk as you can, but also don't think you can't, you can't mess it up. There's just too much of the world to see, to grow from uh, not to try, whether it's the bigger state, maybe you've never lived in another state or another city. Like take, take an opportunity to pretend like you live there. So go there for a week and act like you live there and get groceries or dry clean, like do something out of the ordinary. I think that's really pushes you out of your comfort zone really quickly. Yeah. That is awesome. I,
2: I was, I just wanted to add one thing, Jason, as I as was sharing that, I, I would say that um, if you are leaning into fear, and you're sensing it, then you're probably headed in the right direction. And the thing to to keep in mind is if your mind is willing um, and easily, usually easily willing to make a list of all the reasons why it won't work, then force yourself, catch yourself doing that and switch it, flip the paper over or whatever, wherever you're gathering those things and make a list of all the reasons why it would work or could work um,
0: Mm -hmm. and be
2: open-minded,
0: you know? or a sim- or a, sim- a similar spin-off exercise to that you write down all those things that can make it not work what you should do is right next to and this is just sort this is an exercise that I sort of stole from Tim Ferriss. he does something similar to this write down all the potential downsides to making a decision whatever the decision is but right next to it write down what it would cost to fix that one thing whatever it is like Oh my God. it's like, Oh my God, we're going to get rid of all of our furniture fixed by a, a Ikea. Okay. Oh, that's it. Damn. That's not that bad. <laughs> okay. So scratch that one off the list. What's next. And then just kind of work your way down the list. I'm, I'm actually going to be doing a solo episode, sort of walking through that, that process, um, in the next few weeks, because that, that was something that also really helped out with us as well. um, So really, so really quick. So the, the last question that I like to ask everybody that comes on the show is something that Azul has already answered back in episode 10. And that is, so this question is going to be directed, Steve, to you. What purchase have you made in recent memory of $100 or less that's had the biggest impact on your life? Just so you know, in case you weren't standing around when he answered it. Azul's answer to that question, you know, back in October was a large travel yoga mat, something that could sort of pack up easily and travel with you so you can actually keep up with that practice. And it was under $100 purchased off of Amazon, but it obviously kept, kept the yoga practice going, which is something that's really important. What, what comes to mind for you that sort of fits into that category? Wow, that's such a great question
2: um you know i I like one of the things that I love to do is inspire myself to dream mm-hmm. push push myself to dream of what what could be possible or like um it's it's hard for me to think way into the future, so I'll typically say, "Okay, what's up for me in the next year or two like that seems mm-hmm. kind of safe sure. um, and this might be really easy it's a it's a great purchase if You've never done this. I highly encourage it. Okay. Um, a few months ago, and I usually do this once or twice a year, I went out and bought some magazines. And I bought magazines that have lots of images. And magazines can be kind of expensive. So I went to a charity uh, donation store, which mm-hmm. actually had a collection of books and magazines, and they were all about 50 cents apiece. So I think I bought $15 worth of magazines. So I had a pretty okay. big stack. I don't travel with these so much, um, but I do hoard them (laughs) in my storage in the U S. But what I do with those magazines um, is I make a visioning collage on a circle, like about a 10 inch diameter circle. And I totally just check out of my logical mind, but I do it as a, like a dream board or uh, a visioning board, if you will. And for me, I've been doing it for like eight or nine years. So it gets easier and easier. But what I have found is the things that pop onto that uh, collage and it has just tons of colorful images, random symbols or words. And I only allow myself 30 minutes to make it. Um, What I've come away with is the reflection after the fact is, Oh, I think this means I'm supposed to go on a trip or I'm supposed to do this or add this element of creativity in my life for Mm -hmm. this next year or two. And it tends to, to drive me to take actions. It's actually, um, there were Cantonese, there was a Cantonese man and some Asian food and various things that showed up in a collage um, the year before I took that trip to Hong Kong. And I think it, it seriously contributed to that. And every year I've done them since, there is something profound that comes out of one of these um, collages. Anyway, that's what I did. A stack of magazines. If nothing else, if you don't use them for that, flip through and and find inspiration that way. But um, I would encourage people to get out of their thinking head and, and do something creative.
0: That is a super cool idea. I think, I think I'll work on that this weekend.
2: (laughs) It's it's fun to do in a group as long as you don't talk to each other and you kind of zone into your own space for like a half hour, Mm -hmm. man, get some glue sticks and I use usually poster board or I'll take an old manila file folder or something and cut a circle. I use a dinner plate and cut a circle and then just, tear images for about 15, 20 minutes. And then I don't try to plan it. I just shove them all over the, I call it a mandala, a visioning mandala. And I, it's visual. It's something like I take it with me. It goes in my carry on. Um, and it's like something I can dream with. It's something that, that came from me. And for some reason, those images show up. You can't question You know, sometimes I don't even want the images that I grab and I'm like, what the hell is that about? And it's usually about, uh, it's something, a decision I need to make that's tough or a problem that I've been avoiding dealing with. And then the other things are totally inspiration and exciting things. So,
0: yeah, your, your subconscious can be a real bitch sometimes, but you know what, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 it's part of you and it knows, it knows you better than you know yourself.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm sure that's probably one of the most random answers you've gotten to that question but i'm i'm an abstract creative person so i I hope it helps somebody
0: yeah no that's awesome steve azul thank you very much for coming on the show this has been great
1: thank you
2: yeah really really wonderful really special experience thank you thanks
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the show. I really enjoyed that chat with Azul and Steve. I hope you did as well. Really quick before you go, don't forget to go over to smallmoves.co forward slash community and leave me a comment in the Facebook group to let me know what you thought about this interview and if you'd like to hear more like this in the future. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a feedback on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. That really helps me out a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show, and I will talk to you next time around. You've got this.